0: I want to ask you a question this morning. How often do you think about the return of Christ? How often do you think about being with Him for eternity? I mean, is that, is that on your mind? Is it in your heart daily? It should be. We need it to be. I need it to be. The famous pastor of the Great Awakening thought of Christ's return often and with joy Jonathan Edwards said this, quote, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. Edwards' eternal vision made him one of the most prolific pastors of all time. I think Edwards was was following the example of the Apostle Paul in his activity in light of Christ's coming. You know, when we read about Paul, we see that he joyfully labored in the light of Christ's soon coming, and he looked forward to that coming with eagerness, and I don't think that would be possible unless the Apostle Paul could rest in God's grace and what Christ accomplished on his behalf. That's what stabilized the Apostle Paul when false teachers came in and disrupted his church, or when... People attacked him for his faith. People falsely accused him as they did at Corinth. This rest in God's grace and God's purpose through Christ is what stabilized Paul when he struggled. And it's what will stabilize every believer in Christ today. Paul and every Christian from the beginning have found hope in Christ's coming. We anticipate it with joy because we know God's grace will be manifest on that day. On that day, believers, every believer, will receive the reward of what Christ has accomplished for them. The full reward. And we have the rewards now. They're ours, guarded, garrisoned by God. But on that day, we will see them. We will partake of them. That's exciting. On the day of the Lord or we could say it this way, on the day Christ returns, at the Bema seat, the seat of rewards, every Christian, every believer in Christ, will receive a reward based on God's grace and Jesus' works. Isn't that amazing? You get the rewards of Christ. What Christ did, He did perfectly. And God in His favor toward you through christ will reward you on that day that's what first corinthians you can turn there with me quickly first corinthians 3 mentions this it mentions the bema seat the rewards will be given to us on this on this day look what it says and there's a context here which i'm not going to go into but just listen to how paul responds to the anticipation that he has or the thought that he has of this great day that's coming In light of his ministry. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And in verse 11 he says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day. That's the, the day of Christ will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now, This is not a day of judgment for the believer here. This is a day of rewards. Our life's work will be tested in light of what we've done. I mean, have we lived in light of what God's granted us? And we will receive rewards because any good works we do are imputed to us and through us through Christ. And just think about this great and glorious day. Like I said, it's not not a day of fearful judgment for God's children. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a day of adoration, celebration, and undeserved joy. We see that the apostles, both Peter and Paul, longed for and rejoiced over this great day. They could not do that unless they rested in God's grace because they know they have no good works on their own to bring before God. But they were resting in Christ. See, that stabilized them when they struggled in their ministries, when they fell short. You know, Peter blew it, right? At Galatia, you know, Peter messed up, yet he was looking forward to the day of Christ to receive a reward because Christ has obtained it for him and it will be given to him on that great and glorious day. Understand this, church. On on the day of Christ, the true believer will not face God's righteous law as our judge. Because Jesus faced it for us on the cross. Jesus' work brings us right into the very throne room of God to receive grace upon grace. There is no condemnation for those who are chosen by God in Christ. We now draw near to the throne of grace to a holy God with full assurance that we will not be consumed. Actually, it's quite the opposite for us. We're promised that we will be rewarded before the Holy One due to His grace and Christ's stunning sacrifice. Our rewards begin, understand this, our rewards begin at conversion and our rewards continue on through glorification. I want to show you that quickly. This is all introduction to my text. But quickly go to Titus 3 and see that our rewards begin at conversion. And they will continue on through glorification. But first off, here in Titus 3, we see that at conversion we are promised the reward of eternal salvation, eternal rescue. Eternal rescue. Look what it says here in 3 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs of eternal life because of Christ, because of God's grace. So what's our reward of eternal life based on, our eternal salvation based on? Is it based on our abilities, our goodness, our obedience? No, that's, he's, it's very clear. It's not because of works done by us, right? We have no God-honoring works or abilities or goodness apart from Christ or obedience apart from Christ. So the reward of eternal salvation is based solely on God's grace the Holy Spirit's illumination and conviction, and Christ's reconciliation. They're all three at work. Our ability to serve God, do good, and obey God are the evidences of God's reward. They're not the source of the reward. Our ability to honor Him is the reward. It's the evidence that God has changed us. Scripture also reveals to us that God's gracious rewards aren't just in the past promised to us. They are ongoing and working through us all the way into glorification. After conversion, believers are promised the reward of eternal preservation. Not just salvation, but preservation. What's the? What do you think the, the reward of eternal preservation is based on? Sometimes people think that the reward of eternal... Preservation is based on my performance after I'm saved. If I keep it up, if I work hard, if I set up new rules outside of Scripture, I'll make it a higher standard, and that way I'll be really secure. That's not it at all. Our spiritual stability, our steadfast faith, our immovable convictions aren't based on what we do. Eternal preservation is the fruit of God's grace. It's His reward to us. It's not the source of our reward. The true believer remains spiritually stable, steadfast, and immovable due to God's gracious reward that Jesus earned for us. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 50 tells us. Look there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I love this because you, you've, you've got to listen to the nuances, the little, little phrases that Paul uses here. Because it's talking about preservation, if you understand these nuances, these subtle words he uses. This preservation that, that God guarantees us as his reward because of Christ's work. Verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Saints, that's preservation. That's the glorification of the saints. He's speaking in terms of solid facts here. We will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For this trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this decaying, this perishable body, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives, grants grace, right there, okay? Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing for certain that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see... Paul knows that they will remain steadfast. They will be stable. They will be immovable. They will always be abounding in the work of the Lord because Christ has won the victory for them. The reward is the result of His work manifested in our lives. Now, all that leads me up to where I want to take you this morning in Colossians 1.23. I pray that this message somehow will help you and edify you and stabilize your faith and remind you of the power of God's grace that comes to us in Christ's reconciling sacrifice. Saints, church, listen. This is God's gift to you. He has promised to secure you eternally and preserve you now and forever. He's not going to let you out of His hand. You are stabilized by this. That's why Paul writes this here in Colossians 1. I'll begin reading in a few moments in Colossians 1.21. But here, Paul, Paul's thoughts from verses 21 and 22 culminate in verse 23. You need to understand that, okay? It's the pinnacle of his thought here, okay? It's, it's one thought here, beginning in verse 21, talking about those who have been reconciled by Christ, okay? And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He, that is Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul is saying... That in verse twenty three, that if this is the this is the pinnacle of it all, if Christ reconciled you, it was for this purpose you you will continue in the faith so that Christ can present you to God the Father and all creation as an example of his supremacy over all things. He's doing that because if He reconciled you, if if Jesus, God the Son Himself, lived for you, died for you, and rose again from the grave for you, you are guaranteed to continue in the faith to the end and receive the reward, the reward of the King. You will continue in the faith. You will be stabilized by God's grace. You will be steadfast in the truth. And you will be immovable in your hope. You see all that mentioned in verse 23. If you continue in the faith because you have truly and genuinely been converted by the reconciling work of Christ, you will be stabilized by knowing this is by God's grace. And you'll be steadfast in the truth about the gospel. You'll be immovable in your hope of the gospel. Now, to understand the Apostle Paul in verse 23, we're going to have to do a little bit of Greek word study here, okay? Because this verse can be confusing to a lot of people, and it is. A lot of people think that this verse means it's up to you to finish the race. That's not what he's saying at all. You see, see the word if in that verse? It begins with if. This, this is the word that confuses people when they read the text. But in in the Greek language you need to understand that there are two words that can be translated if. One is the Greek word e-a-n. E-a-n. in. Okay? And that word would re- would refer to a hypothetical a hypothetical condition based on something we must do. That word means it's it's a hypothetical condition that we must do this in order to obtain our salvation or retain our salvation—that is not the word that the apostle Paul uses here. Yeah. This is why the Greek word study is so important. Instead of that word, the apostle Paul uses the Greek word ei, i, ei, which it, it, actually it conveys the idea of this. Not hypothetical condition here, but he's saying, Assuming that those whom Christ reconciled are declared to be holy and blameless and above reproach, those people, as opposed to the false teachers at Colossae, those people will will continue to reveal the power of Christ up until the last day. Assuming that Jesus truly did die for you, you will persevere to the end because that's God's will for you. In other words, he's saying, since these people are reconciled, they will continue stable, steadfast, and immovable in Christ. In other words, if you continue, it's because you're already chosen in Christ, saved by his atoning work, and you have no fear of falling away because you will long to be holy, long to be blameless, long to be above reproach, because Christ is at work in you. Paul says, if if they continue, they will prove they are trusting in Christ alone to credit His holiness to their account, His blamelessness to their account, His irreproachable life to their account because they know that it was jesus who was credited with their sin and he paid their penalty in full to ensure that they would glorify god forever paul is refuting the false teachers who were saying to be secure you must obey our rules then you might make it all the way to the end paul is saying no If you continue to the end, it's because you have been chosen by God's grace and Christ has paid your penalty in full and you will be stabilized by this. You will be steadfast in this and you will be immovable in this hope. The reconciled, he is saying, the reconciled sinner, the reconciled will never fall away because they are saved for God's praise if we fell away god would have failed if we ultimately depart from the faith it's because we were never saved in the light of paul's context you need to understand he's he's pastorally edifying these these struggling saints he's comforting those who are confused by false teaching so in verse 23 paul's paul's not talking about he's not talking about how we must obtain or retain our salvation. That is not what he's talking about. He is talking about the retention of salvation by Christ's works, not ours. He's talking about the manifestation of Jesus' saving work in our lives being evidenced. Paul's talking about the doctrine of God's preserving grace. He's not talking about the retention of salvation by our works. Only by Christ do we persevere to the end, and that we can be assured in because Christ paid our penalty and imputed to us his righteousness that we will be rewarded for on the last day. It's by God's grace we are saved through faith in Christ, not by anything we do, we would definitely boast. This is a humbling and God-exalting doctrine. When Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, he's basically meaning, since you will continue trusting in God's grace, know that it's because you are stabilized by Christ's blood, by his reconciling sacrifice, not your religious activity or rituals, which is what the false teachers claimed in Colossae. The Holy Spirit uses the term continue here, I think very specifically in this, and I think it's really encouraging to understand what, what Paul means when he says, basically, you, since you will continue, you, you need to understand this continuation is not just merely making it to the end. Whew, I got it. That's not what it means at all. The Holy Spirit uses the term continue to emphasize the omnipotent power of God's effectual grace, his transforming grace, his ongoing Grace. This, this word is a, in the Greek, it's a powerful compound word. Two words crammed together, right? And it basically means this. To continue. And then some. <laughs> and then some. Okay, continuing means I'm going to, and then some? This is like hyperbole. He's, he's like, it, this word means eternally. This, this, this continuation will persist because this gospel sticks. It's not that you stick to the gospel. The gospel sticks to you. It means you're going to adhere, continue, to the gospel, not just until you die, but eternally, and here on in, in life, evidentially. You're going to continue to persist in your faith you're going to continue to be immovable. You're going to continue to be stabilized when things seem upside down because of what Christ has done by God's grace. In verse 23, Paul Paul describes our grace-empowered continuation in evidential terms. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to ground them in some some evidential terms because The false teachers said that there's no way they're going to persevere unless they do all these things evidentially. And he's saying, no, look, you're going to persevere where it counts internally. And it's going to be evidential in in your walk. Verse 23a, basically Paul says that the preserving power of Christ's reconciliation will be evident in your unwavering dependence on God's grace. This is actually my outline, one point, okay, just one point. There's one point in the first half of this passage. Basically, Paul declares, number one, that Christ's reconciliation will be made evident in our unwavering dependence on God's grace. The power of reconciliation is evidenced by unwavering dependence on God's favor. Our spiritual stability on earth is the evidence of God's grace at work. That's what he's saying. The very fact that you're spiritually not rocked by these false teachers and you're trusting in Christ in light of their false ideologies is evidence that God's grace is protecting you, it's preserving you. I think we can all testify to that, can we not? We hear a lot of bad teaching. We know people who are in bad teaching and they try to persuade us sometimes. Yet we keep coming back saying, but Christ did this. He finished the work. I could never listen to that because this is what the scriptures say. That's the evidence of God's grace at work in your life. You can't boast in that. You can't say, well, I know I'm not going to become a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or You know, I'm not going to be uh, drawn toward Islam because I have much more knowledge than those people. No, saints, listen. We were down deep, God-hating idolaters, apart from God's intervening grace. And we would be prone to wander into all kinds of false teaching today if it were not for God's preserving grace. It washes over us daily. It's not grace for one moment in time when we believed upon Christ. It is ongoing grace that he will reward us for because it will be evidenced in our life that he is at work. So let me ask you some questions in light of that. Do you depend on that? Do you depend on God's grace and Christ's work alone to secure your eternal salvation. That's that. If you do, rejoice. That's the reason I ask you. If you can say without a doubt in your heart that you completely, totally depend upon Jesus' work alone to please the Father on your behalf, you better rejoice. Because that is a gift of God's grace. man is prone to try to boast in what we can accomplish and when you finally say that i depend on sola christus christ alone you are giving evidence that god is at work transforming your heart and will be with you to the end do you rest in this truth do you rest in the truth that jesus will bring you before a holy god with confidence an assurance that He will not cast you away? That He will embrace you? That He will love you? That He will reward you. Do, you? do you rest in what Jesus did? Or are you still trying to do it on your own? Are you still trying to please God in the flesh? May it never be. Rest in Christ. Do, do you believe this morning? Ask yourself this. Do, do you believe that you will not merely be tolerated in God's presence? But instead, you will find in His presence unwavering love because of Christ. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just tolerate you. He is going to embrace you as if you are His only Son because He died for you. you depend on that? Do you hope in that? Do you rest in that today? Well... Let me give you some good news according to Paul here. In verse 23, he says, if that's true, if that's true, you will continue in the faith to the end and then some. If you're able to rest in Jesus' work alone to secure God's love for you, then let me encourage you this morning, that rest, that unwavering dependence is the evidence of God's grace resting on your soul. That's amazing. Saints, only only those who are truly born again, regenerated from above, can truly depend on God's efforts, not our own. That dependence is evidence of God's grace at work in your life. That's what Paul is referring to. He's referring back to this. It's God who rescued you. Chapter 1, verse 11. Look there in Colossians. Contextually, he's referring back to how God, God alone, initiated our salvation through Christ's sacrifice, but God the Father initiated this. He's reminding us that our salvation is an undeserved gift of grace from God the Father. He says in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. There is no need for us to qualify ourselves. He's done it. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance, the reward of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, relocated us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't say in whom we need to earn redemption or pursue forgiveness. It says in Him we have these things. We have these things. This grace-driven, God-exalting rescue here is what true believers are depending on daily and eternally. We who are fallen, sinful, and spiritually incomplete, we must depend on this. We must depend on God's grace to rescue us and to make us complete in Christ. Because it does that. It does both. Matter of fact, in verse 11, Paul says, we can endure to the end because of whose might? It's his might. God's glorious might, God's gift to us, is what causes us to endure to the end. Now look back at verse 23 again. If indeed you continue, he says, in the faith, stable, stable, steadfast, You will display, you will prove, you will be evidentially showing that God's grace is at work in you. True believers, he's saying this in light of the context. He's saying true believers, unlike the false teachers, they will have stable dependence on God's grace. They will have unwavering dependence on God's grace. He's saying this in light of what he said earlier in this text. We're stabilized in life, by God's grace, through Christ's reconciling work. We depend on God's grace and Jesus' merits alone, not our unstable works or good deeds or religious obedience. We have none. Our good deeds are like a leaf blown away. They're like a soiled garment, as Isaiah 64, 6 says. They're defiled before a holy God. They only last for a season and they're, they're cast away like a leaf in the fall. We have no stability in our own deeds, in our own obedience. But we can depend and must depend on Christ's obedience. His deeds and God's grace are what secure us and guarantee our continuation throughout eternity in God's presence. That's what Hebrews 2 even reminds us of. Hebrews two, ten to 18. Hebrews 2, 10 says, For it was fitting that he, speaking of Jesus, by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is God the Father in verse 10. Verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, saints, that's, that's Jesus singing over us because God has given us to him. He's going to sing and God's going to reward because of Christ. Christ. Yet we're the ones benefiting here. And verse 13 says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he, Jesus, helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make payment, propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you depend on this? Do you get that? He will help us. He guarantees that he will be with us. This stabilizes my faith. This stabilizes my wishy-washy mind. God loves me, He loves me not. God loves me, He loves me not. I'm doing poorly, He doesn't like me today. Maybe He's enduring me. No, listen, He loves you like He loves His Son always. Always. Ongoing love is yours through Christ. We must depend on this. We must find rest in this. Or we'll find frustration. We'll find legalistic registration, or restrictions, rather, restrictions that will try to bind us but can't change us yet when we rest in christ there is a transformation that takes place and the evidence of his life is at work in us and it comes through us and we're stabilized when tempted when we fall short when we sin we know we have an advocate with the father christ jesus the righteous one so let me ask you another question is that what you depend on same question rephrased Is your dependence on God's grace stabilizing your soul? Or do you still try to depend on your own strength to finish this race? Even the most mature Christian falls into this temptation, okay? We all fall into it. But God wants us to repent of that. He wants us to find rest in his grace and Jesus' obedience alone. His grace and Christ's obedience is more than sufficient to carry us through to the end effectually, evidentially, in a way that would bring God glory. It's His grace that He promises to use to carry us home to glory, and Jesus guarantees it because He paid the way for us with His own blood. Romans 5, 6. Romans 5, 6 shows us this, 6 to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, wretched, depraved, idolatrous rebels. Christ died for us. Then he says this. This is astounding. Which is fantastic up to this point. It's fantastic, right? But then he says, but there's much more. Since therefore, we have now been declared righteous or justified by the work of Christ, his blood. Much more shall we be saved or completed by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, we have a a change in relationship to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are in a new relationship with God, reconciled, shall we be saved or rescued or completed by Jesus' life. More than that. (laughs) There can't be more than that, Paul. But there is. It's ongoing. And then some, right? We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. That is, that is the promise of the completion of all things. Glorification comes through being reconciled to God through Christ's atoning blood. Jesus guarantees that if He saved us when we were His enemies, He is certainly going to keep us in God's good standing throughout eternity. We're now adopted children. We're beloved by the Father, covered in the blood of the Son. Every time the Father sees us, He sees the love of Jesus manifest Look at that saint, look at that saint, set apart by my son. I love him. That just astounds me, because God had every right and did hate me before he saved me. Because I was a wretch, unrepentant wretch. But by grace, through faith in Christ, I have been reconciled. Church, those those who have an unwavering dependence on this, unwavering dependence on God's grace and Jesus' work, Paul tells us those people will be, without a shadow of a doubt, will be presented to God the Father as holy, blameless, and above reproach by Jesus himself. He's going to hold you and I forth as, as an evidential Picture of, look what I did. He's going to give us to the Father as a gift to declare His greatness and His supremacy and the glory of God's grace. He's going to give us to the Father to testify to His power to save sinners effectually and sustain them for eternity. This just astounds me. Jesus, I can see how He converts us I understand what the scripture says, but then he gives us this promise of eternal relationship with him. Where we always stand under his blood, through his blood, looking to the father, trusting that he is never going to let us go. We don't don't do things in heaven to try to obtain or retain our position there either. We will always gather around that throne and say, glory to God in the highest and his son for whom I have been set apart to serve because he died in my place. Paul's telling us, Paul's telling the Colossians that true believers will, shall, continue in the faith stabilized by God's grace and Christ's blood alone as opposed to the religious false teaching of his day. It is through God's grace and Christ's blood that we are granted our final reward. Look with me in Revelation 21. Last text we will look at. Revelation 21. Verse 1. And yes, if if you're thinking, Randy, you always go to one of those Revelation texts. It seems like every time you preach. I, I think that's probably a reoccurring theme and I am not ashamed of it. It is... Uh, place that I dwell often because I need to be reminded of this but look what it says here in verse 7 is really the key then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers continues to the end, stable. The one who conquers will have, will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And he's speaking to saints who are suffering saying the ones who continue in the light of suffering give evidence that they were called by God to salvation. And verse 4 says, let me show you how close this relationship is with God that you have now through what he has promised in Christ. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God's sovereign, right? He could say, no more tears. Why does the text say he will wipe away the tears? It reminds me of when Jesus comes to the leper and touches him. Did he have to touch him to heal him? No. Why does he touch us? Why do you touch your loved one when they're crying and you wipe away the tears? It shows affection and deep relationship. God says the ones for whom Christ died will make it to the end and I will be their comforter. I will be their personal God. They will be my people forever. I will hold them. I will love them. I will caress them. They will be mine. Saints, I pray that this brings you comfort this morning. God has written these things to edify us because he knows we will face trials. He knows that. We need to be reminded of this. When we face trials, we will also fall short. We will compromise. We will sin. Drawn into temptation. Lest we think we have to do something to please God to get back in good standing, we need to remember these truths that say, you are in the Father's hands forever. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. You have an advocate. You have one who is a high priest who intercedes for you. When you fall short, know that Jesus never you are accepted in him and you will continue stable in that just stop a moment and ponder that think about this personally for a second why do you think you as opposed to an unbeliever around you why do you think that you continue believing why do you think you continue believing trusting in God when everything in this world and in life begins to be hopeless in, in your sight? Why, why do you continue believing when life seems to be crumbling apart? Why is that? Are you exceptional? No. You're secured by God's grace. And that is evidence of that securing work. That perseverance is God's reassuring evidence that he is with you to the end, come what may. The evidence of God's grace is at work in your life when you see this. And that is what will stabilize your heart and cause you to persevere in good works, in the face of persecution, in the face of trials, until Christ comes or until he calls you home. Just just ponder that this morning. Meditate on that this morning. Just remember this, that, that no matter how far you fall, God's grace will never fail to catch you and restore you. Just know that. No matter how far you fall, God's grace will never, ever fail to catch and restore your soul. I need to hear that. I want to depend depend on that daily. I want to depend on that, and I can depend on that because Jesus has ensured it. It's settled. He has accomplished it. He has promised it. And we will receive the reward of his work. So let's give him thanks for that this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you amazed by your power, your love, your grace, we thank you for being the willing sacrifice that rescued wretches like us so that we would become trophies of grace to display your greatness and your supremacy over all things. We pray that we would, we would take comfort in that and that we would be stabilized by that and that we would be Drawn to persevere in that and through that for the glory of your name, for the good of our own souls. For it is a joy to know that we are in your hands, to be reassured that we can depend upon you to carry us through whatever comes. It is in you we depend, it is in you that we trust. We know that our trust will never fail because you ensured it. You promised it to us and you, you guaranteed it on the cross and through your glorious resurrection. So help us to maintain this mindset and remember when we struggle and when we stumble and when we fail that we are never too far from the power of your grace and that you will continue on the work that you started in us for our good and for your glory until the day of rewards. We thank you for this, Christ. I pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.